The Rural Health Voice, Episode 110, Rural Pharmacies. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. Why do independent pharmacies have a hard time staying open? Cindy Werner of the Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network joined me to discuss the needs of rural pharmacies. Well, welcome, Cindy. Thank you. It's good to be here this morning. Oh, it's great to have you. So I've got you down as the Senior Consultant for the Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network. So before that, you first a pharmacist. Why did you decide to be a pharmacist? Actually, I decided to be a pharmacist because my first degree was in education and I taught high school for a year and realized that at that time I was not going to be able to support even a car payment and an apartment rent. So I looked to areas where I could educate and I've always been connected to health and wanting people to be the best that they can be healthy-wise. So pharmacy seemed like a really good avenue. So I went from educating high school students to educating anyone about their medications. Sure, there's a big education component of pharmacists because, you know, who knows what side effects, what indications we have with other medications you might be taking, what, you know, how to store it, how to use it, all sorts of things that people need to know about the medications they use. I totally agree with that. And there's even a back end to it because of how complicated our healthcare system is. You know, is the medication going to be affordable? Is it covered by my insurance company? Do all my doctors know that I'm taking this medication? And then as people age as well, when I was growing up, it wouldn't be unusual for people to be maybe on three prescription medications. Well, today, anyone over 60, it's not unusual for them to be on eight to 10 prescription medications. So just keeping up with all of that, when's the best time to take it? What should I eat? What can I eat? What can I not eat? And you really need to have that kind of relationship so that the pharmacist knows the individual person, their lifestyle, whether or not they remember things. I mean, those those little things mean a lot in keeping our body machines going as we age. Sure. I remember, you know, my grandpa first got real bad. You know, he had, I think, five different specialists and every single one of them prescribed a different medication. And I'm willing to bet back then, none of them knew what the other one was doing. I can honestly say, Beth, that hasn't changed much today. The hope is that they do, but the pharmacy is the gathering point where all that information is there and pharmacists are trained. Um, they're now doctors. It's a PharmD. So they they have that extra training in their curriculum to help both the patient and the other clinicians involved on the healthcare team to pull all that together as far as the medication use. And now you work for Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network, which supports independent community pharmacies. What do you see as the difference between a community pharmacy 
and someplace like CVS or Walgreens. The lack of a corporate structure allows for much more individualization on what the community itself may need, as well as what the individual patient need. The training and the expertise of the pharmacist are the same, but it there isn't always the same environment or working environment to allow some of those skills to be used at the top of their scope. And part of the reason I am a co-facilitator for the Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network is these pharmacies have committed to providing enhanced services as a set standard of enhanced services for their communities. And a lot of them are in the rural communities where there's sometimes some extra things that need to occur because of either transportation or lack of other clinicians. So they they really do play a key role in those communities and with healthcare. And lack of pharmacy access is a problem for many rural communities across the nation. From 2003 to 2018, over 15% of the nation's independent rural pharmacies closed leaving communities with no drugstore. We know the trend has continued. Why is it so hard for pharmacies, especially independent pharmacies, to stay open in rural areas? It's not just rural areas, but that's where you see the largest gaps in care. The healthcare system, as the complexities have grown, there have been the introduction and involvement of more middlemen. There have also been changes in regulations and laws that took away some of the checks and balances. So not only is there a licensed doctor or specialist or pharmacist involved on the healthcare team, but you have the insurance companies and then you have the pharmacy benefits managers. And reimbursement and contracting has become very complicated. Community pharmacies are given take-it-or-leave-it contracts you know, you always hear, oh, negotiate a better reimbursement. There's no opportunity for that. And in Virginia alone, it's sad and it's heartbreaking to me, but we are below 300 independent pharmacies in Virginia, and that's the lowest it's ever been. Now, in that list of of people that are involved, you mentioned a pharmacy benefit manager, and it's my understanding this is a a fairly new position in in the pharmacy world. Is this someone that, you know, maybe reconciles those medications from five different specialists that my grandpa was getting? What does what does a pharmacy benefit manager do? Actually, a pharmacy benefit manager, and they have been around for a while, but as they have evolved over time, they have become um, a larger player. They contract with the insurance companies to manage the pharmacy benefit that the insurance companies cover. So their contractor is the insurance company, not the patient. Then they develop the pharmacy network that that insurance company will cover. So then they once again contract with the pharmacy, and then they process the pharmacy prescription claims. And in that processing, then they turn around and pay the reimbursement to the pharmacy. Now, what complicates it is 
There are three major pharmacy benefits managers that handle over 83% of all of the prescriptions that can be considered fairly looking at almost a monopoly forming. But these pharmacy benefits managers also own mail order pharmacies. So that's where you get into the twist of they're wanting to direct pharmacy services to other entities that they own. And that's where it starts to become a little bit gray, in my personal opinion. And the patient gets lost in all of this. And most patients don't realize that their community pharmacy is their prescriptions are being processed by this entity. And this entity is currently reimbursing I would say on an average, 32 to 38% of the prescriptions that are filled in a community pharmacy are filled at a loss. The cost of the medication is not even covered. This is especially challenging when you're dealing with populations that need extra help. And these community pharmacy owners are doing everything that they can to keep their doors open to help their community. But if you have no control over what you're being reimbursed for a product that you have a set price for, that can set you up for a, a, just a downward spiral. So let's clarify that. Independent pharmacies, like any other business, must bring in enough revenue to cover their expenses to keep the doors open. But if they're not making enough money, why don't they just raise their rates? because they're not able to raise their price because the pharmacy benefits managers set those prices. The pharmacy benefits manager set the formulary, that's the list of drugs that the insurance company is gonna cover. They set the reimbursement structure, that's gonna be the reimbursement of what the pharmacy is gonna be paid. And they set what pharmacies are gonna be in their network. And they also own some pharmacies, either specialty pharmacies or mail order. So it's almost like the fox guarding the hen house without a good set of checks and balances. Additionally, we know that being a rural pharmacist isn't easy. Rural pharmacies tend to work longer hours and their urban counterparts and relief coverage for vacation illness is hard to find in a rural area. How could we address that? Sometimes the schools of pharmacy actually do help with that, with being able to send either interns or residents. The pharmacy world itself is also a very tight network of peer professionals. And I've known of cases where there's been an illness of a pharmacy owner and someone from another independent pharmacy that is a staff pharmacist actually goes and covers that store. And they might even stay in a hotel or stay at someone's house. But these pharmacies, I have to say, are so committed to their communities. And it breaks their heart and it breaks my heart. And I know it hurts the communities when they close. As of today, I know of two independent pharmacy owners that have not paid themselves at all this year because they didn't have the funds to do that, but they wanted to keep their stores open. And that just breaks my heart. Yeah, absolutely. And in September, Virginia mandated that pharmacies maintain sufficient staffing levels, hopefully to cover those vacations and sick days. 
In your opinion, is that regulation a step forward for making sure pharmacists have the support they need? I do believe it's a step forward. I think it was needed because of the transition that the current prescription reimbursement process. And I do think there were situations more often in corporate situations. If you think about it as a business owner, when you're not getting reimbursed enough for a product, that would be like a furniture store not able to sell their sofas and chairs at the cost that they brought in. You don't have control over it. But the quickest way to try to make ends meet is to cut staff. And so in some of the corporate settings, staff levels were getting to the point where it was potentially putting the public at risk for an increase in prescription errors, especially at a high volume store. So those regulations from the Board of Pharmacy were put into place to protect the public, the citizens of the Commonwealth, and to ensure that it was a safe working environment for the filling of prescriptions. Sure, because with any healthcare position, if you make a mistake, it's not like someone makes a mistake when they sell me a couch. That mistake could could be harmful to my health. It could be deadly. Well, it could actually kill somebody. And I know some of you have heard in the news about some of the walkouts at some of the stores. We haven't had any in Virginia, but in some other states. And I would have to say the desperation that a pharmacist would feel as far as choosing to walk out at their place of work, because we all take an oath to our patients and to provide medication services. So it really just shows and highlights just how dire the situation is and the tipping point of ensuring that there's safety and accuracy in filling the prescriptions. If a pharmacist doesn't feel safe because of the working conditions, that sets up a a potential cascade that can be deadly for someone. So one way to alleviate staffing shortages is to have more pharmacists. How can we encourage more of our students to consider pharmacy as a career? I have loved my over 36 years of being a pharmacist, and I wouldn't have traded it for anything. So if you, as an individual, love helping out people, love making a difference in someone else's life, um, you have to be good at at math and science, uh, because there is a lot of chemistry involved with medications. But if if you want to make a difference in your community and the profession of pharmacy, there's a broad scope of what you can do with a pharmacy degree. But I would also venture to say it's not just getting students to attend pharmacy schools. There's also pharmacy technicians that are a very needed part of that team. And in Virginia, we're so fortunate we have, um, it's a little bit innovative, but we have 20 pharmacy technicians trained as community health workers. So they can specifically address social determinants of health and social determinants of health needs. Um, But you're not going to see that happen until there is a change in the reimbursement structure. I mean, it's a hard there's a definite cost to a product. You have 
The medications are made by the manufacturers. They are processed and sold through the wholesalers. There isn't as much direct purchasing directly from the manufacturers like there was when I graduated back in the dark ages, I guess. You have to be able to cover those costs as well as, um, and there are some changes in some payment models to actually look at paying pharmacists for the additional services. It used to be the cost of the product and the dispensing fee, there's a dispensing fee, would cover all the services. Well, there are some pharmacy benefits managers contracts with independent pharmacies where the dispensing fee is zero, five cents, 22 cents. That doesn't even cover the cost of a bottle and a label. When you don't have a chance to negotiate, it just sets up a challenge. There's hope in transforming and paying for services, paying for test and treat. Pharmacies, very shortly, we're, we're waiting, but protocols have been developed because in these rural communities, especially sometimes the pharmacy is open longer than some of the physician practices. And so if somebody needs a, a strep test or a flu test or something like that, the Board of Medicine and the Board of Pharmacy develop protocols and those hopefully will be going into effect at the beginning of the year. So pharmacists are trying to figure out ways to diversify, to stay open, but we still have to deal with the net root cause issue of fair reimbursement through the system to at least at the very minimum cover the costs. So what advice would you give to that potential student who wants to be a pharmacist despite all these barriers? In your heart, if you want to be a pharmacist, you go for it and you get educated and you can help to be an agent of change in the system. There's lots of opportunities for pharmacists outside of a pharmacy per se, although that's been my career and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And the smile on a patient's face when the light bulb goes off that they can control and actually impact their outcome and their lifestyle with diabetes. It is just so rewarding. If you're interested in entering the pharmacy profession, you know, maybe start out and um, get a job as a pharmacy technician and go in and see the environments. But realize a pharmacy environment can be in a community setting, it can be in a hospital setting. It can be working for an insurance company. It can be working for a pharmaceutical manufacturer. It can be in drug development. There is a whole host of things that you can do. And it's also wonderful because it can be full-time. It can be hourly paid. It can be part-time. Um, I was able to cut back my hours and spend more time when my children were small and as you mentioned earlier, fill the gaps um, to give pharmacy owners a break. So there's just a bunch of different opportunities. And last question, question I ask all my guests, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and healthcare in rural America? If I could do anything and I could wave a magic wand, I would ensure the sustainability of your community pharmacy because they can be the team creating member of developing a great healthcare team 
for each patient on an individual basis and close some of those gaps where there might be a lack of either a primary care or a specialist, but their expertise, their education, and their care of wanting to help. Most pharmacists, I will say, are introverts and they're taught communication classes, but they really like having the relationship and the time. And the pharmacy can be the hub of the healthcare and the needs in a community. A pharmacist can help you find a primary care provider. A pharmacist can help you find a specialist. And that would be my dream would be there would be almost a spoken hub opportunity in rural communities where healthcare teams could be developed and work succinctly and efficiently to address individual patient needs and disease states and improve the quality of healthcare in their, I would say from a population standpoint. Uh, when we had the COVID pandemic, um, it was the pharmacies that stepped up and did the immunizations and some of the testing and, and some of those things. So I just think that's really an important piece in healthcare, in especially in the rural settings. Go team pharmacy. I love it. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Cindy. It was an absolute delight and pleasure. It's just an honor to be able to uh, speak about rural health because that is so important and those communities really deserve to have access to the care that is needed. That's Cindy Warner with her desire for a team-based approach to patient health. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, make sure you follow us on Facebook and X. The Virginia State Office of Rural Health is dedicated to fostering collaboration, sharing information, providing technical assistance, coordinating rural health interests, and improving the recruitment and retention of rural health professionals throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia.